Well, good morning, and uh, let's go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing again, and then we'll begin this morning. Lord, again, thank you for the opportunity that we can gather, that we can enjoy uh, just the beauty of your weather, even the spring as we rejoice in new life. Lord, as we see every spring and reminds us of the new life that you've given in the resurrection of your son. We just thank you in your son's name. Amen. How many people here enjoy boating? Water, boats. Do we have any wakeboarders? Anybody know? Okay, wakeboarding, skiing. Does anyone anyone actually wake surfed here? Wake surfers? Okay, we actually, you can weight the boat down on a lake and you can start to actually wake, like actually surf behind the wake. That's, I think, one of the coolest things you can do behind a boat. I grew up, as uh, my father said, in this area. I grew up around small lakes. But you know what is better than small lakes? You know what, at least I think, is far better than wake surfing behind a boat? The real thing. Surfing was way, way better. I did go to seminary and graduate school in California, and I got that opportunity. I thought Californians were hilarious. The people that I knew, my good friends who grew up in California, they never, and I mean really, like never went to the beach, which being a Nebraska kid, thought that's insane. You live 20 minutes. Why wouldn't you go to the beach every day? And then I kind of got into school and understood, well, you get busy and it's just inconvenient. You start to see traffic and you go, I see why. 30 minutes of traffic, that's probably why, you know, you, just don't, you don't want to go fight all the traffic. But when I was there, I decided that's what I want to do. I grew up wakeboarding behind boats, surfing behind boats. I wanted to surf in the ocean. And I did that safely for about a year until I had a freak accident while I was surfing. And a freak accident to the point where the doctor said they've never seen anything quite like it. The kind of injury I got, they said they usually see in bar fights. And what happened is, is I was paddling out into the ocean really early. I used to surf Friday mornings before I'd go into church for work. And as I paddled out in the ocean, a guy actually surfed at me, very normal. Usually this beach was very busy. And instead of avoiding me, he freaked out and ended up kicking his board at me. What happened is his fin of his board, so you think of a long surfboard fin, it hit my eye, cut my eye open. I got caught in the undertow, ended up cracking my head against my own board, kind of perpendicular to my skull. And I ended up with what they call a depressed skull fracture. So imagine a dent in your skull. That's what I got. So to make a long story short, with lots of humorous turns actually, and it's my wife and I had been dating about three weeks when this happened. So that's a funny part where my head ended up being shaved, ended up having surgery. I had staples going along. I looked a lot meaner. Uh, and I'm surprised she kept dating me. Mostly sympathy, I think. But when they de- described that injury, this depressed skull fracture, I always am struck by what the doctor told me. He said, well, here's the thing that happened. You ended up fracturing, denting the softest part of your skull. Which I go, okay, that, I guess. I didn't know they were soft or hard. He said, that's the softest right here, part of your skull. You ended up denting it. But he said, that's okay, because it's really, it actually, what it wants to do is that you have this dent like a ping pong ball. And what it wants to do is actually, the pressure wants it to pop out. So he said, hopefully this will be an easy surgery. So we'll put you under, we'll roll you into surgery. And he said, he showed me a little kind of scoop. And he said, I'll go ahead and put this metal scoop, get it right there, and try to put enough pressure. And it should just want to pop. And your skull will pop back in place and you'll be fine. I thought, okay, that's good. He said, well, and if that's not the case, then we'll drill a bolt in your head. We'll use a machine and pull it out. Okay. The easy one sounds better to me. And so we roll into surgery, and it ended up being the easy one, and it 
popped out. And I always remember that picture. He said, you're just like a ping pong ball. You've seen that, you know, you play ping pong, you dent it, and you can kind of roll it. It just wants to pop out the pressure of the rest of the school. And when things like that get under pressure, they want to pop. At church, I've been studying and preaching through the Gospel of John. And there's certain times where the disciples are under pressure. Specifically, we'll look at Peter. When he's under pressure, he ends up popping. And the reason he ends up kind of popping and sinning against God, betraying Jesus, denying him three times, the reason he does that is because that is the natural pressure that all of us face. Scripture is very clear. We're born into sin. We have a sin nature, and that sin nature ends up causing pressure that when the life pressures of life come around us, we get pressure and we end up wanting to sin. That's the bad news. It's kind of a bad news, good news sermon. And we'll see different natures, and our nature, which is a tendency to sin, and God's nature, which is a tendency to forgive and to reconcile. So look with me at John 18, if you would. John 18. And we'll look at this story. Maybe you know well. Maybe you've heard of Peter, one of the disciples, denying Jesus. Saying, I don't know this man. Which, if you jumped in right at this point in scripture and said, here he is, denying his friend. You go, okay, that seems bad. But if you've studied the other 17 chapters, you know, not only is this his friend, this is someone Jesus, or Peter has already declared as his Lord. His Savior. He's not confused about who this man is. And in the midst of that knowledge, he's going to deny him. So I want to look at Peter as an example of each one of us as our own human nature. And look at his denial. Because in Peter, you're going to see a lot of similar qualities. Peter is really, you can see, he ends up being kind of the best of the best. If you want to look at the apostles, he's going to lead the Jerusalem church. He's going to be this strong leader in the book of Acts, but he doesn't start out that way. And I look at him as kind of a best case scenario of someone who has followed Jesus, says, I love you, I will die for you. And yet even he gives into the pressures and it's just like my skull. And then that pressure, it just, he ends up popping and he can't handle the pressure. He can't end up doing that on his own. Jesus knows that and we'll see how Jesus will handle that as We'll see his nature as well. But look with me just at verse 15 through 18 of John 18. In our context here, we're we're marching up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. But really we've spent chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 up to this point. All about Jesus preparing his disciples. All the way explaining to them, I know what's coming. I know I'm going to die. Don't worry. Because they're going to have their faith tested. They're going to be scared. They're going to be fearful. And he's saying, I'm going to instruct you, equip you with what you need to know. And so all the way from 13 and you see the, uh, uh, the washing of the feet, the last supper, all the way till now, really uh, only a matter of hours, Jesus is instructing them and guiding them. And then in 18, the first 14 chapter, first that we don't look at, they come and they arrest him. And I love these verses here because it's an amazing thing where they go to arrest him and Jesus says to these centurions that have come to arrest him, Jesus has been betrayed by his friend Judas. And he asked them in verse 4, whom do you seek? 
And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. So Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So imagine the picture of Jesus just saying his name, and they fall back to the ground. And interesting enough, you go, why did that happen? Why didn't, I mean, Jesus clearly doesn't want to get away. So why does he do this? And they ask, Jesus asks them again after they, he's knocked them to the ground, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Now that includes Peter. He hasn't lost Peter and he's not going to lose Peter. And why he knocks them down is because he wants the centurions to say, leave my disciples alone. You can take me because I'm letting you take me, but you're not taking them. And after you've been knocked to the ground supernaturally, you listen to the man and they just take Jesus away. But Peter, you could say in a noble way, follows after Jesus and wonders what is going to happen. And so we find here in verse 15, he follows Jesus, which you think, what is a disciple? One who follows Jesus. So you got to applaud Peter in that way, that he follows, but not that he ultimately denies. But look at verse 15, it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Here's the picture. There is one of the disciples, likely John, is known to the family of Annas and then Caiaphas. Those are the trials that are happening here. And this family of high priests, honestly, it's more of a mafia than high priesthood at this point. But they know John. They know his family. And so he gets in and they know, John, you're with Jesus. They get that. And they're looking at Peter going, you're with Jesus too. And this is just, this isn't necessarily like social pressure right now as much as just a servant girl at the door asking. And he knows what the answer means. Jesus is on trial to be, well, they don't quite know it's crucifixion, but they want him dead is clear. And Peter knows just as much. And it's the question, are you with this man? Are you a disciple? You followed him here. The question is now, are you going to follow him to death? And he says, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with them standing and warming himself. Picture Peter is probably thinking, I'm just trying to, you know, not get in too much trouble. And if you skip down to 25 and we'll just pass over the questions of Jesus there. We'll see again. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself in verse 25. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, 
Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So three times he denies Jesus. And we'll see why that's important. And we'll see why Peter should have known, and he realizes when that rooster's crow, and he'll say, it'll say in the other Gospels that he has immediate regret. Two people say, are you with Jesus? No. Are you with Jesus? You, you're the man. I, look at I'm related to the guy, Malchus, who you swiped at his head and missed and cut his ear off. I've seen you. And he says, no, no, it's not me. One thing we learn about Peter, and I think about each one of us, is that we tend to think we are better than we ought. And life has a way of starting to pressure us and create choices where we start to even be amazed at the compromises we start to make. Peter is no different. He is prideful and he is arrogant. Look at Matthew 26. Two things. Why is it important that he denies Jesus three times? And why is it kind of shocking that Peter won't go to the cross with Jesus. This is why. Because in verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is right before the prayer in Gethsemane. And after the prayer, Judas comes to arrest Jesus. So we're talking, this is like an hour, a few hours ago, Peter. This happened. And then a few hours later, he denies Jesus. But in verse 31, Jesus says to them, and I think he says that this is a loving thing that I know what's going to happen. You're going to fall away. It has to happen though because ultimately he has to die for them. He knows it. But he says to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all, and I'm sure Peter looked and said to the 11, well, I guess 10 at that point because Judas is gone, and looks at the 10 and goes, yeah, yeah, all of them? Yeah, they'll, they'll fall, but not me. They will all fall away because of you. I will never fall away. Peter has that attitude. Again, you almost love, but he does, as they say, have the foot-shaped mouth. He just sticks his foot in it all the time. Never. Just use, he loves kind of the, the always, the nevers. Which, humanly speaking, they're not very good words. If your mom says, don't, always, don't ever, you know, always and never. They don't really apply very well to us <laughs> as finite humans. And Jesus says to Peter, truly I tell you this, this very night... Before the rooster crows, so before that rooster gets up 5, 6 a.m., before he crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples said the same. So again, fairness to Peter, they all agree with Peter and say, yeah, yeah, we all agree. But Peter is here very specifically saying, they may all go, but never me Never will I do that at any time. I will even go to death. And you go to John 18 and he gets his opportunity. That's about the price tag that's 
it's going to cost. You follow Jesus. He already, I mean, you think about Jesus. He got him off the hook, right? He said, don't take these men. Just take me. And then Peter goes, and after already kind of playing with that, I mean, Peter draws a sword at that point and tries to kill someone. And Peter, I'm sure Jesus is thinking, Peter, stop it. Which he says, this is not how my kingdom works. But Peter goes in. He has his opportunity to go die with Jesus. And he says, no, I deny him. And Jesus knew it all along. Isn't that like us that we're very prideful, we're very arrogant, we think we're capable of these things, but yet when the pressure comes, it's a lot different. I think of public speaking as a, as a good example. I have a, a friend that I've, I've been discipling, and we had him do some things for us up front not too long ago, and he always thought, oh, being up front is so easy, and it's not hard, and I'm sure, like, I'll get up there, and I'll be amazing. And you think, like, he literally said that, I'll be amazing. And I'm like, you know, you haven't really been in front of people. It's a little bit of a different thing. They start staring at you. It gets weird. You, it takes a while to kind of get used to, you know, people. And, and he's like, oh, no, that's, that's not me. Of course, he gets up. And those who get up in front of people can appreciate this. And he's just like everybody else. He looks like he's a little shy. He's a little embarrassed. His shoulders are slumped. He, I mean, he, he couldn't crack a smile. You know, you're just kind of like, smile just a little bit for me. And he's like, no, I mean, just... He could feel it. He was nervous. Totally fine. I'm like, that's every single one of us. You're, you're not going to be born someone who just stands up and is never nervous. It doesn't happen. You get used to it. You acquire it. He thought more highly of himself than he ought to. The other thing about our nature is that it is weak. We don't have what's necessary, and that's the gospel of John. We don't have what's necessary to save ourselves. Specifically, Jesus isn't just talking about this life, but he's talking about the spiritual life in all eternity. You need something from above, which is John chapter 3. You think about the new birth. Think about that. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus and they have this discussion, you must be born again. Nicodemus is kind of okay. Personally, if we looked and say that passage, Nicodemus is used to talking in metaphors. He's a Pharisee after all. After all, he talks in metaphors. I think he knows, some people preach it in that Nicodemus is like, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. That's crazy. I think Nicodemus gets what he's saying, but that's the point. He gets what he's saying, which is, that's impossible. And Nicodemus is really confused by, then what do I do? Which is a very human response. What do I do? And Jesus is saying, you need something outside of yourself. You need something that comes from above. In other words, you're right, Nicodemus. It is impossible. And Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, spending his whole life doing good things to earn his way into God's favor or earn his way into heaven, is going, I think what you're saying is my whole life has been pointless and that I'm not righteous. And I think Jesus is implying, now you're getting it. We're getting closer. You need something outside of yourself. You need something of above. In and of ourselves, our nature is no different than Peter's. It's that sinful nature. Think of Isaiah. All we like sheep, we go astray. Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all is every single one of us. Now you can say that's the bad news and it seems a little unloving and a little bit discompassionate. But remember, even as Scripture and even as Jesus knows this about Peter, allows this to happen about Peter, 
But he's just pointing out truth. And in that way, it's very loving. It wouldn't be loving to let Peter go on thinking he was something he isn't. It wouldn't be loving to let his disciples or you and I going on thinking you can save yourself. That's not loving because it's a pretty sad fact if you end up thinking the old adage of what are you gonna, if you get to heaven, what would you say if Jesus says or God says? What or why should I let you into heaven? And you give the wrong answer and you could have had the right answer. It's more loving to point out you are a sinner who needs a savior which is where we're getting in the Gospel of John. The one from above is Jesus. He's the one who's the perfect sacrifice. I think of it, and I was thinking about just different things of high school and being here, and particularly junior high. And it's that weird stage, junior high, when you kind of start, and I'm sure you guys can appreciate this as a high schooler, where things get a little bit, you know, you're like, all right, like all of a sudden showering is important. You know, like that's an important thing. The classmates appreciate it. And I actually remember, it wasn't in the gym, it was over there, like working out. And I never, because why as a kid? I was like, I didn't wear deodorant. Not important. And somewhere around junior high, I remember thinking, someone was like, you smell really bad. And I thought, huh, that's probably true. What you can say, and my wife even told me, she's like, did they really say that? I say, yeah. She's like, was it a girl? And I was like, no, that would have been really embarrassing. It was a guy, actually. But it was loving in the sense that it's like, fix the problem, right? You're going, you shouldn't wear the same shirt three days in a row and never shower. Like, no one is going to, if they love you as a friend, they're going to go, hey, bud, come over here. Like, you should stop doing that. That's a bad idea. That's the loving thing to do. And that way, truth is loving. It's not unloving to tell people that they are sinners if that's true. And if you have the solution, which is that they need a savior. So our nature is, is one of sin, one of that pressure we give in. But Jesus' nature, God's nature is much different. Look at John 21 to wrap this story. You already know a little bit about Peter and you go, I, I know he doesn't end this way, which is amazing about God's grace. You think, how in the world could you use Peter? If one of your friends betrayed you, what's your attitude. You don't necessarily want to reconcile with them, forgive them, give them hugs and be like, let's, let's be friends. No, that's not the human attitude. But Jesus' attitude is very much of one. He knew it all along. He knew that's in Peter's nature. And he knew he was going to die for him and die for him so that he would be different. And so in John 21, you have the reconciliation. And I, I find it wonderful in that three times Peter denies Jesus, and three times Jesus is going to ask him this similar question, the same question, and then they're going to reconcile. I can't imagine Peter at this point thinking, how embarrassing. I said just the hours before I would die for you, and yet he denies him, but yet Jesus is going to say, you didn't have that power because you didn't have what you needed, i.e. the spirit that he's going to send to be that bold, to be that brave, but you will. And so you find Jesus and Peter here after the resurrection. So after Jesus has died, been raised again, they're out fishing. And here's their conversation. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Which you imagine betrayal and everyone's kind of, but you said you loved me before. 
is something different? And was it true before? And Jesus responds, he says to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. So he's getting after, if you love me, which I've been doing a lot of premarital lately, talking about love. How do you measure love? It's not flowery words. It's not emotions. It is action. He say, if you love me, you will do something and you will tend the flock. That would be, you will minister to my people. You will tend my sheep. So he says to them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus finishes by saying, what, do you, what then? If you love me, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter didn't have the strength to follow Jesus didn't have the strength to die for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you that strength. And he is going to follow Jesus. He's going to tend his sheep. And he's going to die for him. Church history would say, Peter was crucified upside down because he was a follower of Jesus. He wasn't able before God saved him and he's indwelled the Holy Spirit. You get to Acts, the book of Acts. You see a whole different Peter in Acts than you see here. Because of what Christ did for him. Look at God's nature. It's one of reconciliation. One of love. One that says, I am going to not only provide the solution to your problem of sin. I am going to be the solution of your problem. It's this ministry of reconciliation 2 John 5 talks about. I love how Peter responds here as well. That do you love me? And Peter says, I give up Jesus. I give up. You know everything. That means you know it's true whether I say it or not. Which I think is the place that Peter should and Jesus wanted him to get to. That I don't know. I'm just going to show you. I'm just going to do. And you know all things. I think that's where Peter, he's resigned to. I'm going to follow you. And you'll see with my actions that I love you. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. I will see it. And I'm going to see it. Even to the point that when you're old, guess what? It's not going to be like you were young. And I'm talking to a crowd who doesn't fully appreciate that. I'm sure I don't fully appreciate that either. But it's different. I spent a lot of time volunteering with the Gretna Fire Department as a firefighter EMT. And so we do a lot of kind of interesting calls. The EMS world is weird. So cool ends up being weird. Like if I said things are cool, and talk about accidents, you guys would probably go, that seems really twisted. That's the EMS world. It's kind of weird. Like, you're excited about house fires. It's, it's kind of a twisted thing. But you get, I, I love it, and I really do enjoy it in, in working with the city and doing things, and it's, we're busy. We see a lot of calls. One of the things we see a lot of is we have a nursing home really close to the station that I'm out of. So we do a lot of transports, and I'm telling you, 
you go into the nursing homes, and I would encourage you, you learn pretty quickly life is short and that you don't get to act the same way you do now when you end up being 80 and 90. They have a memory unit. I got punched the other day by a guy who actually had a Bible on his desk. So that was kind of a little bit humorous. I was like, which, sweet. I mean, the guy, I'm sure, was, was sweet, but he doesn't remember anything and did not want to go to the hospital and told me so much and literally hit me because of it. And I'm just trying to tell him, well, we have to take you. They're, they're telling us we have to take you. Um, and so it happens. And it's going to happen to you. And there's only one answer and solution to that problem all of us have, which is one and one are going to die. And that is that we need someone to save us from that. And not just physical death, but because obviously we're going to physically die, but life after. And that's what Jesus does for not just Peter, but for us on the cross. I love John 6. You really, as you study John, you see how it works itself together in John 6.35. And you even think about Jesus. Why didn't he cast out Peter? It's because he was his. Verse 35 of John 6, he says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying, and he says this over and over again, I am like, I'm the living water. I'm the bread. That is, you come to me, you're not going to need to eat. Now, does that mean you're never going to eat again physically? That's not his point. He's using imagery of you're never going to need anything else. You're going to have eternal life. He's talking about the spiritual life. But I said to you, verse 36, that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, Peter uses big words like always and never. He doesn't have any power to promise that. He can't really say, I'm going to always and to never, right? <laughs> I've done a lot of premarital lately, and it's so funny. You do vows, and maybe you guys, you'll see this if you, do, you go to a lot of weddings. And sometimes people write vows. And I've kind of come to a place where I don't like when people write vows, and I like traditional vows. And one of the reasons I like traditional vows is because I like vows that you can actually keep. I've been to a few weddings where people write their vows, and they vow things, and I'm going, I think you're going to break that within, I know you're going to break that by the time the honeymoon's over. Easy. You know, I love to always smile. I love to always do this. And you're like, I don't know. Now, always, in the sense of love you in sickness and in health, stay married to you, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, boom, I love it. That's what you're committing to but we're still human. We don't have quite the capacity to say the always and never in this sense of perfection Jesus does. When he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is only a promise that God can make because he's perfect in and of himself. It means something. He goes on, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus comes in the book of John. John writes this book in the inspiration of the Spirit so that 
John 20 says you would believe that each one of you would come to a place in your life where you say, I need something and not just something, right? Because if you say, I just need something, you might find it for a while. You might find a relationship that you go, that makes me get up in the morning. You might eventually graduate high school and enjoy college. You might get a great job and you might enjoy said job, but that still doesn't solve the real need that you have, which is an eternal one which is you need someone that when you are that old man or that old woman, that for the most part, and it is very sad there, where people have forgotten and they only have one thing, and it's Jesus. Are they going to have an eternity with him in life? Are they going to take of the bread of life and never hunger or not? And that's the choice that each one of us, each one of you, faces. You have to look, though, and understand your nature and understand God's nature if you're ever going to come to that place. You've got to understand first the bad news of your nature. You're like Peter. You're going to say, well, I'll never do that. And you will. But the good news is that Jesus can say, I will never cast you out. If you look on the Son, he says, whoever looks on the Son, believes in him, should have eternal life. He can fulfill that promise. So the point is to look to him who is able, who is worthy to be praised, worshiped, so that you might have life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time that we can look at your word, that we can be reminded of truths that matter in life, truths that matter in death. Lord, I pray that we would think about those things, how they affect each day that we live and the way we walk. Lord, knowing that it is you Uh, who are able, Lord, to meet our greatest need uh, because of your Son. We just thank you for that and praise you in your Son's name. Amen.